Welcome to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to jump back into uh, Luke chapter 16, and this time we're going to spend our time looking at this story of rich man, the rich man and Lazarus. Now, there's something that I've wanted to point out uh, since yesterday's podcast, and it really has to do, yet again, with the tie-ins of how Jesus is communicating. Notice back in verse 14 that the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. They're scoffing at Jesus. They're lovers of money. He's been addressing these issues, especially with this parable of the steward and the manager and how he uh, was shrewd in his uh, management and even praised by, by the, the, uh, the owner or the man, or, uh, yeah, the, the owner. Anyway, uh, his master. Now, all of this has to be firmly put within this framework, mm-hmm. right? We have to keep in mind if Jesus is not going to, or the scripture is not going to give us a defined break, we have to remember all of this is, is still in line with something. And, and the theme that we've seen repeatedly is a love of money. That is the issue that we're having, a serving of money versus serving God. And and the point that I made yesterday was if we can serve God and use money, there's no problem or no (laughs) main problem. Uh, you, You can get certain things off, but if you're going to serve money, and use God, <laughs> you're going to find yourself on the wrong end of the uh, of the stick at some point. Most certainly. With that being said, he rolls through 15, 16, 17, and 18, and he, he says some really obscure things, including this idea of divorce and marriage. And Although there can be a lot to that, it seems it seems to me very clear that the problem that he has here is that the the adultery of the Jewish people in times past had to do with idolatry, and the idolatry present in this theme is the love of money. Mm-hmm. So so I'm putting all of that framework together before we jump right into another story. Remember, there's no break here which is about a rich man and a poor man. Yes. So that we've got to make sure that we keep that flow going. Uh, there's, there's nothing to say that Jesus is not speaking truth. He always is speaking truth, but speaking truth about divorce and marriage and all that other stuff. It was just not his aim to talk about that as he rolled out of verse 18 or as he rolled out of this statement on divorce and right into this uh, story about a rich man and Lazarus. So I just wanted to set that framework in everybody's mind before we jump into a really interesting parable. So what stands out to you about this rich man and Lazarus or even how they tie in mm-hmm. together from yesterday? Well, first, I think it's extremely important that you set the context for this. This is, uh, this is probably one of the most controversial parables that Jesus told, and there are some that would dispute that it is a parable. Some believe it is an actual story being uh, uh, told by Christ here about an actual, two actual men. Now, those I, debates even go the, to naming the man. Absolutely. They right. say that yeah, none of the other parables have someone that's named, and this one they do. I don't know about any of that that piece. I know that the controversy uh, is there. Are everybody that's ever even thought about 
preaching a sermon has used this this text and uh, it is uh, it's it's very in, in some ways very difficult to to glean a meaning from but in other ways it's actually very easy to glean and, the meaning and to your point about preaching a sermon you're referring to the idea of this seems to communicate hell very clearly exactly but there are people who say, yes. no, it doesn't. Yes. And so that becomes a challenge. So we're going to walk through it verse by verse, and we're going to, we're going to weigh some of the ideas, and we're just going to kind of see how it plays out. So verse 19, the story is set that there is a rich man, and he, habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Sounds wonderful. Yes. Verse 20, <laughs> and a poor, I mean, I'm not a purple guy, yeah. but hey, you know, if you give me my favorite color, I'll do black. That'd be fine I'm good by with me. purple. Right. And so, <laughs> of course, of course. So verse 20 says, and a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs, which were falling from the rich man's table besides... Even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, this is the rich man being tormented, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Now, before we just go, I mean, we we haven't even touched on those verses yet. Um, We're going to rewind back to verse 19 and say, this rich man is identified as a, as a rich man under under three ways. Number one, he's called a rich man. Okay, so there there's one identifier. Second, how he dressed mattered. Mm-hmm, that was mm-hmm. that was an identifier of wealth in this culture. And then third, the what he ate. All of these ideas that he he had this banquet table and he was eating uh, well enough that the crumbs could have mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. fed other people, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting thing. So so setting the contrast, what we have is we have a rich man and we also have Lazarus who is, in this case, uh, suffering, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some way. So give me some thoughts well, on where you're, it, this, you're at. This man, as you've said, is, uh, is, is extremely wealthy. He is, he is uh, wealthy beyond many, many people in that time. When it talks about the things, the details of it, that like he dressed in purple, that was that. Those were the colors that were first of all the dye made uh, that was used to make a purple garment was extremely expensive. No one but royalty used that dye or had a purple robe. It would be unusual for people to have any other uh, linen other than the robes that they daily wore. But but he dressed in purple and fine linen every single day. So he is extravagantly wealthy and, and joyously living is what the NASB says. Now, it's talked about that he does... He does actually eat very well, and you talked about the crumbs. One of the the crumbs that fell from the table were the things that seems seems that Lazarus was waiting to get in the houses of the very wealthy, like this man would have been. One of the customs that they had, they didn't have napkins and tablecloths and things to wipe your hand. 
the very wealthy would actually have loaves of bread that they would wipe their hands on, and those would be thrown away. So they wiped their hands on loaves of bread when people like this man that laid that was laid at his gate had nothing to eat. Now he was waiting for them to throw away some of that those bread and those breadcrumbs. By the time it got to him, it was dirty from the hands of the people who had been eating. But he was he was fine he with that. He would have been fine with that. Yeah. yeah. So so we have this we have this uber wealth in the rich man, and we have this destitute position of Lazarus. And, and what we see, and it's really important, I think, to, to not read too far into what Lazarus here was afflicted with. All we know is that he was a poor man mm-hmm. and he was covered with sores. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that this man was a leper or something like this, but that he was he was that destitute. He was he was broken and he was in a great deal of need. I think that that um, I think that the 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 idea that we could cross over to something greater, um, you know, we'll we'll discover in the text. But but we could be tempted to go too far or too too little. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's here's where it gets interesting. We we have Lazarus as a named character, and in some of the um, some of the manuscripts of these original texts that that have been found, uh, some of the manuscripts actually do give a name mm-hmm. to the rich mm-hmm. man. Okay, and of course, this is what leads to the conjecture that you mentioned to earlier, mentioned about earlier, which is that this is a true story and not necessarily a parable. I again, I can't just like you, I, I can't speak to that. But what I do know from those original. Uh, those original uh, manuscripts is that the rich man's name was something like Dives or Nives. I'm mm-hmm. not really sure what it was, but in the Latin, mm-hmm. that actually just simply means rich. Right. So, yes. so it would be really weird if the guy's name. Rich man was also rich. That, yeah. You know that that seems you know richy rich here. Here's okay, rich. so <laughs> but but the idea here is it would be obscure. Yourself. I think what is happening here is simply just the story mm-hmm. of a rich man and a poor man. And I think we need to. Um, I think we we truly do need to leave it at that. The, the next piece that is fascinating to me is context, and that mm-hmm. is how we read this. From our worldview into their worldview. Um, notice there's dogs present in this. It's as even the dogs were coming and licking his sores or or uh, in in one instance in the scripture, we would talk about dogs eating from the master's table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, dogs were not man's best friend. Right, right, right. They weren't. This wasn't. You didn't have. You didn't have Fluffy over here. Exactly. That was what was. That was the family child because you couldn't have children. Right. It was. That's not the way this worked then. They were scavengers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, it is really setting the stage for how poorly this man Lazarus would have been treated. That dogs would have been allowed to eat that bread you talked about. Mm Mm-hmm. But not Lazarus. But not Lazarus. Correct. That's pretty brutal. Yeah. Pretty yeah. brutal. This is it. You know, the other thing that's that's somewhat unsaid in here, but it's but it you you have to notice that it doesn't say that this man's wealth was ill-gotten gain or was mm-hmm. he, that he was doing anything necessarily uh, uh, that it was unrighteous. There's no hint that that there was no overt sinful act that he was 
displaying with his wealth. There, there was no, uh, he, he didn't, it doesn't say, it's seemingly for all practical purposes, doesn't say anything about him being an immoral man necessarily. Very it doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, say anything good or bad while he's alive against this man that's laid at his gate, Lazarus. So there's, he could be a picture. He could, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming as a wealthy man, that doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be immoral. Doesn't seem to be an overt sinner or or wicked. Right, right. And we and we just have to simply unpack uh, what happens later to try to piece this together to try mm-hmm. to figure it out. But it, it, I love that observation. It nothing says the rich man was rich people are bad and poor people are good right. inherently that's that's actually not the point of the story so so he goes on and he says a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores verse 21 and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table what abundance mm. besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom uh, and the rich man also died and was buried. This this seems to be a common understanding in um, in Jewish times. At least this idea of Abraham's bosom. Uh, any thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Well, in I, ju- I I I think it's very notable that uh, uh, this is a this is a. Uh, primarily a Jewish audience that's hearing this. Now, obviously, there would have been some Gentiles in there, I'm sure. Luke himself, uh, well, he wasn't necessarily there at the time. He's relaying a story, but Luke himself was a Gentile. Not not, he was not in this story. He was doesn't seem to be present during this this act or or Jesus portraying this story. But the fact that that they use a term that every Jew would have seemingly understood uh, it in Abraham's bosom. And there are many, many, there, there again, there is so much conjecture. Is this heaven? Is this paradise? Is this, what is this that Jesus is talking about here? Yeah. Is this the place of the dead? Is this the, is this the place where the, the soul goes until the body meets? There are so many questions that come up about this. And I think it's I, I think it's very uh, notable that Jesus even brought it up yes. because if this was a real story and I don't know that it was or wasn't if this was a real story there was some explaining to do yeah, here absolutely a couple of the things that were very curious uh, at least to first century Jew were, were uh, two things one a uh, that angels carried him away oh, was yeah. very unusual yeah. this. This didn't quite make sense. Um, now, there, there's a lot to be said when we understand, uh, say, for example, in the in the uh, story in Jude where, where uh, Michael the archangel is not uh, going to ridicule or he's not going to correct the Satan. He's not going to correct the enemy of God uh, on the body of Moses. And people wonder about that. These are actually angels talking about this person's mm-hmm, eternal mm-hmm. destination, you know, in Moses. Um, but this idea of angels being carried, uh, carrying someone away is very unusual. Second thing is the term Abraham's bosom is not heard, but the idea is very clearly understood, mm-hmm. not Abraham's bosom. Like you said, that brings up the debate that says, well, where is this? Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the, 
the term that is well understood is being uh, brought into the company of your ancestors, yes. right? Yes. And so we see this in extra biblical writings. Uh, for example, in the Apocrypha, we've got four, fourth Maccabees 13, uh, 13, 17. For if we so die, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will welcome us mm-hmm. and all the fathers mm-hmm. will pray, praise us. First Kings, biblical understandings, First Kings 1. Uh, otherwise, it will come about as soon as my Lord, the king, sleeps with his fathers. He's, he's going to rest with his fathers, mm-hmm. that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders. Um, we see it in First Kings chapter 2.10, the death of David. David slept with his fathers. Mm-hmm. That whole phrase over and over, if we're not careful, we have no idea what those things mean. But to, to be put to rest and to lie or to sleep, to rest with one's fathers was an honorable thing. Yes, that was yes. a great thing. Um, and then we see it again in 1 Kings 11. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, that he was gone, he was resting with his fathers, then he goes on and does other things. But the, the idea is that uh, to, to be in Abraham's side or to be with the fathers mm-hmm. was a very well understood idea. Just mm-hmm. the term Abraham's bosom was the one that that has scholars going, what? What is that? Exactly. What, what was that? And yes. we can't find a record of this, but we can find the idea that they would be with their fathers. So, so what we have in Lazarus, okay, so again, there is no moral framework for the poor guy or the rich guy. Right. But what we see is that Lazarus now goes with the patriarchs of the faith. He's in Abraham's bosom. And yet with regard to the rich man, he's now in Hades. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. interesting thoughts. And Jesus does not say, it's important, that the rich man is, or I'm sorry, that the poor man is in Abraham's bosom because he was righteous or doesn't say that the rich man was in Hades because he was wicked. And he doesn't say he was there because he was rich, and he doesn't, on the, on the other side of that, he doesn't say that the poor man was there because he was poor yes. in, in Abraham's bosom. So, uh, and, and this, is, this is not, and there, there, there are many things that this is not, but one of the things that is, is commonly carried away from this is people that think, well, is Jesus saying mm-hmm. that rich people can't go to heaven? Or is, is he, does he have a, a problem with rich people? It's very important to note that when it talks about Abraham, that the man was in Abraham's bosom, Abraham was far, far richer than this man, it would seem. Yes. Abraham was an extremely wealthy man, and he was there. So it, it, you can't uh, take from this that the rich have a hard time getting into heaven. Now, can wealth be dece- deceitful and can draw you? There's no doubt about that. But being poor can do right. the exact same thing. You Absolutely. can be so caught up in your poverty that you think God is not for you, or you do, you don't know that that God can do anything yes. for you. So if I'm not if I'm not prosperous on this side of life, God doesn't love me. That's not that's not an indicator according right. to the scriptures. Exactly right. And yet, as you've so well pointed out, we have this problem, especially in the prosperity gospel driven culture of mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. That if somehow you um, you have an ailment in your life, you have a sickness in your life, or somehow you don't have the wealth that you need, you're clearly not doing it God's way. 
This is not a biblical Absolutely category. Not, this yeah. is simply not there. So what we have on the front end or on the first side is we have a, a poor man being buried, um, and he's he's dead and he dies and is carried away. Actually, he is not said to be buried. He is died and he is carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Okay. And then verse 23 says, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, this is where we get into this talk about hell, yes. because Hades was a, a very well-understood Greek thought, word under Greek thought, that represented the place of the dead, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. The place of the dead in particular. Um, it also could have meant in their day uh, the place where the unrighteous dead go, so let's put this in put let's put this in the framework of what we just talked mm-hmm. about in Jewish thought when somebody was buried when somebody died and it was honorable they were buried with their fathers or they uh, slept with their fathers or they were in Abraham's bosom, right? As we're seeing here, there was a place of honor Mm -hmm. being with those who went before. However, in many Old Testament passages, what we see is people who died in a dishonorable position or an unrighteous position, sometimes they were left in the open Mm -hmm. for the dogs to devour Mm -hmm. them. Sometimes they were cast out into the the field they were they were just kind of put to the side there was something very interesting here now uh, it is it does seem that Hades is contrasted with hell uh, or with heaven and therefore gives a gives rise to the notion of actual hell and and the two points that I want to uh, the two passages I want to point out would be this Psalm 139 8 says this if I ascend to heaven, the term heaven, we mm-hmm, see that. Mm-hmm. You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. So the the contrast there seems to be whether I'm in heaven mm-hmm. or in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just one that is used as an argument for that. Amos 9 verse 2 says this, Though they dig into Sheol, from there will my hand take them. This is God's hand. From there will my, God's hand, take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there I will bring them down. So it seems to be this juxtaposition that says there are people who are trying to storm the gates of heaven. I can take them down. There's people who are being thrown into hell, and I can bring them up. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Interesting thoughts, but uh, for our for our best understanding here, this idea is Hades, a Greek understanding of hell. It is a place of judgment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and and that's that's exactly right. And it's one of those things that makes this a controversial story. And 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 that uh, that's just one of the many things that make this a controversial story, or that people struggle with in their uh, understanding of it. They it, now here we go on to see that that uh, that this rich man recognizes Abraham and recognizes Lazarus and knows who they are. He even called them, the, the rich man evidently was a Jew because he calls him Father Abraham. Yes. And, and so, so there's, there, there is another piece of this that has people confused about, or there's a lot of uh, 
dialogue back and forth about what this proves, that this man actually recognizes Abraham and Lazarus. So there's so many elements of this story that, and, and while they are interesting to go in and somewhat debate and kind of walk through, and the angels are another piece of that, and what angels do and what angels don't do, but if you're not careful, it will, it will draw you away from the point of the story that Jesus is right. trying to make. And that's, that seems to be the biggest issue that people have, is they, they get involved in the things that are not necessarily a, uh, uh, the point of the story yes. and what Jesus was trying to portray, and they can't get past the pieces that they don't get. Yeah, and, and, and one of the fun things about what we're doing here is just a small bit of conjecture in the details of it, and at the end of this, we're going to get to that point. Absolutely. We're going to draw it back to yes. the point of what is happening here, but it's worth just considering what people do sometimes with parables or stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they go, um, when, you, when you begin to interpret it becomes a challenging thing. Uh, for example, one of the controversial points about this particular uh, grouping of verses is the question of annihilation, yes. hell annihilation, or eternal conscious torment. And um, there are people who say, look, this proves that it's eternal conscious torment because this guy is actually in misery and he's, and he's in a problematic state. There's, there's a flame and, and it, he's in agony. And then there are some who say, um, no, it's, you know, it's not about that because that, that would be an unloving thing or, a, you know, an unfair mm-hmm. thing for God to cause people to, to go in, un, you know, to go forever in torment. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, it's, as I'm reading this, I don't think either side of those positions can make their doctrinal foundation from this text. Right, I don't exactly. think it's intended to do that. No. And so you can sit there and say, you know, here's what happened. It's eternal conscious torment or no, it's annihilation. Well, you're not going to get annihilation from this text, right? but I don't think you were intended to. And I don't also think you can get eternal conscious torment. We don't see the end of the story. Exactly. We just see a part of even exactly. that story. So yet again, the point is, I think, I think when we do that, we're dabbling in, you know, we're practicing the art of missing the point, yes, you know, yes. and we're and we're getting too deep into something that is not productive. So yes, that's my and it, and it is it it is very uh, it's 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 easy to get caught up in in the story and miss what's going on here and miss the storyline, miss the actual point, as we've said before, that Jesus is trying to make, and and there many times. Uh, th- there have been doctrines built around this story, and we 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 know, and and people have built doctrines literally around this yes. story, and we can see that that there are many things that are talked about in this story that are really not talked about anywhere else in the scripture, or the exact idea of this ha- of, of this happening. So, it's it, it's the whole of scripture that we have to really be concerned about yes. now. Can there be situations where certain verses 
are calling out something that God absolutely wants you to know and understand, yes, it can be that way. But many, many, many times it will be backed up by some other teaching in the Bible. It will absolutely. So if you don't it now, if you go outside of the scripture and try and figure this out, you're, you're on a, you're on a bad journey. It, It will not end well. It will get you in all of those places in the weird belief systems that come out of a story like this. And there's some out there. Yeah. And I, and I think this is the piece that I, I want to make sure we come back to towards the end, but I want us to put this firmly in the framework uh, of the people Jesus is communicating to. Mm-hmm. He is talking to a people who he has already declared are lovers of money. We have seen throughout the various podcasts of, of the Gospel of Luke so far that they are a merciless people right? They don't show mercy to anyone. They pass people on the side of the road. They, they want to justify themselves before Creator God on debating who their neighbor is. They won't heal somebody uh, the, the six days of the week, let alone on the Sabbath. They, all of these things are show them to be a merciless people. And it appears that when you think about it this way, you have the rich man who is not not outright declared to be this, but seems to show no mercy to a poor man who is right mm-hmm. within his midst, mm-hmm. right? He's right there with him. He won't show mercy. Isn't it funny how the merciless often at some point demand mercy and the response is... It's too late. Mm-hmm. It's too late. Now, we can get into all this hell debate. We can get into all of that. But again, I think it's an exercise in missing the point. I think what, I, what I'll come back to, what we need to come back to, is this idea of merciless people desiring or demanding mercy. And there's a point in time in which God says, no, you had mercy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was through the law and the prophets. But let's roll yeah, further sure. on and we'll keep going. So um, this is an obscure thing. You've got a guy who has these wounds and it says in verse 24, well, let's go back up to 23. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And you called this out before, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, this is a term uh, the Jewish people would have said Mm -hmm. to Abraham. They knew he was the father of their faith. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Now, now the poor guy who he wouldn't touch before or didn't have Mm. any part with before, who has sores all over his body, now he's going, tell him to dip his finger in water. Like, yes. This is pretty, he was, he was in agony. Mm-hmm. He's in agony mm-hmm. in this situation. He is in agony. And it's, it is so notable again that when he says, Father Abraham, Abraham doesn't say, hey, hold up here, buddy. I'm not your father. Or <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't say, as a, as a matter of fact, we're going to read in the, in the very next verse that he calls him child, yes. which, is, which is, is notable. Now, what I see here, some, I see uh, that, that, that this man, this rich man, displayed some of the same characteristics as the Pharisees who were listening. Now, whether or not that was Jesus' intent, uh, well... Right. Well, I don't know, 
but they certainly displayed some of the same things. As a matter of fact, I, I, I can imagine that as Jesus has done, as we talked about in yesterday's podcast, that they had to be thinking, wait a minute, he's talking about me now. Mm. He's talk- and, and, and here they're seeing a story of a man that they would have thought he would have been a great guy to have in, in the synagogue. Yes. He's, he's wealthy. He's moral. He seems to doesn't seem to have any overt sin in his life. He, he doesn't say anything about that, yes. but he's not in he's not in Abraham's bosom absolutely, though. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so all of this is going to just continue to keep resurfacing. But the 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 idea here is this child piece that you refer to. I love this piece, right? But Abraham said, now again, nobody ever. Nobody ever questions the idea that Abraham is who is being referred to here, Father Abraham, any of that stuff. Nobody's saying, Abraham's not your father, God's your father. This is Mm -hmm. is not the point, again. But verse 25, Abraham says, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, bad things. Now, the good things that we see clear from the story is the guy was wealthy in his Mm -hmm. purple linen and his abundance of food. You received your good things. Likewise, Lazarus, bad things. What we don't know about this is how did Lazarus get to the place he was? Right. How did he get there? What we do know is he was poor and he had sores everywhere, okay? So likewise, Lazarus, bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Now, this is not to be understood that just because you have an easy life here or a good life here, that that's it, you're out. There was something that this man was doing that said, this has put you in contrast with, mm-hmm. right? If, if it were uh, overtly simplified to where the people who are broken in this life, the people who have been uh, are poor and destitute and pitiful, blind and naked and all of these literal things are the only ones who go to heaven, well, there's a real there's a real shocker to the American church because sure. all of us are just out of luck, yeah. right? That's simply not what's being communicated mm-hmm. here. There is some sort of contrast in the either the morality, the character, the nature of these two men. We just aren't privy to that. So, so that's what's happening. But I do want to zoom in on that child thing and remind everybody that just a couple of podcasts ago, remember Jesus saying to the children of Israel, how he wished he could gather them as a hen gathers Mm -hmm. her chicks under her wing. The compassion was for them to turn and come. Yes. The compassion was for them to turn and come to him, and they wouldn't do Mm -hmm. it. The same compassion is being displayed here. Child, remember, during your Mm -hmm. life, it's Mm -hmm. almost as though during your life you had good things, and I welcomed you into to to my position but you're like the prodigal son's older brother you 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 always had what was mine yes. but you've rejected it yes it's a, this is a pattern of teaching that Christ used here that seems to be over and over again that the people of Israel had the they had the good things they they had been offered they were the children of God they uh, and even down in verse 25, when he says, uh, Abraham says, 
you, uh, child, remember during your life, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. How many times has Jesus taught that there's coming a time when the first are going to be last and the last are going to be first? And so many of the things... When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and how he tur- it's turned upside down, and this is another uh, reinforcement of what he's taught before. So, as you well said, it is this is this is not new stuff to these guys. Absolutely. This 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 understanding of 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 that uh, that the children of Israel had been offered all of the good things and had turned it away. This is. This is pretty clear yeah. that there's there's some kind of connection here. Yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and take a take a big leap here into uh, into a subject that is definitely uh, uh, prone to making people mad. But a lot of people would take a story like this again, practicing missing the point, and they would say, "See, this is one of those stories where it shows that those in heaven can look down upon those below or or vice versa or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's simply not communicating that. It's right. simply not communicating that. Um, people want to know if, if you know, Grandma Susie is looking down on them from, from heaven. And I have many reasons why I believe that that is not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, in the presence of God, there are no more tears. There is no more there's no more pain. There's none of those things. Why would why would heaven have a window open to? I'm not talking about God. God sees all. God knows all. Uh, but why would why would heaven have a window open to the misery of this life mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and expect to remain in a joyful state? Uh, that's just a confusing matter to me. But again, the point is that's just simply not what this is communicating. But mm-hmm. we have people that read that kind of stuff into these things all day mm-hmm. long. And, yeah. and we've got to be careful. I'm glad that. you jumped into that pool yes. because I think the other thing that we will note here is that Lazarus did not gain a set of angel wings. He did Amen. not become an angel when he <laughs> yes. died. Yes. He no did harps. not. And neither did your parents or your family members. Right. I, 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 and I, I say that and I'm, I'm careful. I need to be extremely careful. There are some people I know that that are that gain a lot of comfort from things, but it's just not true. And uh, what it, the truth of the matter is is it should be even more comforting that that Amen. God loves us enough to welcome us into His kingdom. Amen. And this this world is is not our home, and we're not going to become angels yeah. when we die. It's a distinctly uh, it's a distinctly uh, human or fleshly thing to try to see the comfort in ideas like that yes. when what we are welcomed into as you just said is a comfort beyond our comprehension yes. it's a comfort beyond our imagination so uh, so a lot of these things get thrown into texts like this and it's like where where in the world is this kind of stuff coming from. So what we have, yet again, is the upside down kingdom. What we have is the grand reversal of all things, the last being first and the first being last, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening in 25. And then verse 26 rolls in and says, and besides all this, (laughs) besides that that reversal, just so you know, between us, us and you... Uh, There is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here 
to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. Now, that is a very curious thing, and yet again, something that's going to remain a mystery for us for a little while, mm-hmm. that, that specifically this line, that those who want to wish to come over from here to you will not be able. This is not viewed as though people from heaven want to go to hell. Yeah. That, that wouldn't be. They actually can't go and help. There's a chasm. Sure. They can't. Sure. Lazarus is not allowed to go and help. That's at least how I'm reading it. But that is an obscure statement that say, why would anybody want to go from heaven uh, uh, over to hell? The only framework we have, again, it's a mystery, really, but but uh, because we don't have an emphatic statement. But what we seem to be able to deduce from this is the idea that Lazarus couldn't help him if he wanted to. Exactly. It's a, there's a chasm here. Oh, and by the way, you can't come over here yeah. either because you can't get there from yes. here. Yes. Or, or here from there. Yeah, and it seems that the rich man seems that he only spoke to Father Abraham in, in this case. So I, I have no idea whether Lazarus could see him. It doesn't say that he could. It doesn't say that he could, couldn't. So. Yes. But uh, but very once again another one of those things that make this makes this an interesting uh, story to 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 tell and to discuss very much. Now verse twenty six does elude elude what the destiny of this rich man is, or let me rephrase that: what the eternity of this rich man is is unknown but what we do know is that the punishment was eternal yes meaning irreversible mm-hmm. meaning that the punishment cannot be reversed um, that again doesn't it, that doesn't support annihilation or eternal conscious torment right, right. It, that doesn't support anything it simply is pointing to this. We don't know. We just hear that the we just stop hearing from the rich man, right? What we do know is that the chasm is uncrossable. Yes. And it is forever uncrossable. It's not going there's nothing going to change that. So really important piece there. So verse 27, and he said, "Then I beg you, Father, uh, that you send him to my father's house. Okay, so now he's asking for Lazarus to be sent back to earth uh, to my father's. Remember, both these guys are dead. Yes. So send them to my father's house, most likely. Send him to the one still alive. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And it's in this next line that we rewind back to verse 17, where he says, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Mm. Why is that so important for Jesus to say that to this group of people? Because they had the law and the prophets, and it was enough for Lazarus. Absolutely. That means it's enough for them yes. and it was and it will be enough for his brothers and they just need to surrender yes. and listen to it. This is yes. important. Jesus, this is one thing we can be certain of is that Jesus would not have said something was absolutely untrue for anyone else in the entire exactly. in the entire concept of what he's saying. This was this was the exact same thing that he's been saying to the Pharisees and the, the leaders of the church in, in his day, 
They have Moses and the prophets. Now, it seems, it seems that, that this rich man, all of a sudden, the tables have turned, as mm-hmm. we said. He, he's almost begging that for water first, for, the, for, the, for someone to be sent to his uh, brothers. And, but, and it almost seems now he has a, a, a compassion for others. Now, maybe he had compassion for his brothers when he was alive. Yes. We don't know that. But he certainly had enough compassion that he didn't. He did not want them in the same place that he was in. It's very telling about what's going on. Uh, I I think this is this says a lot. It, it, the 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 language is graphic. He didn't want them to come to that place of torment. Right. Right. Very very much. So so he has fear for. Um, again, no, no no moral statement about the man's life other than a moral implication, and that is that he was a merciless individual. He did not show that mercy to Lazarus. Mm-hmm. He he does say, um, "I want to warn my brothers." so that they will not come to this place of torment. That warning must have been warning against the way they lived that would wind them up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in this particular place. That's just how I'm reading verse 28. So there's an implicit, um, implicit wayward behavior or wrong way of living. And only through this uh, this torment, only through this agony does this man wake up to this reality. And, and that may very well be an important statement for whatever our view uh, on, on judgment is. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what we see is that Abraham responds and says, they have Moses and the prophets. Again, Jesus is communicating this, and he's communicating to a bunch of lovers of money who are, as you pointed out yesterday, which is a fun thing, they, they wanted to change laws to suit themselves yes. and make everything work for them, whatever it was. In this, they have Moses and the prophets. If they'll read it for what it says, they don't have to worry, mm-hmm. right? Jesus would elsewhere say, uh, Jesus would elsewhere say, you have all of these scriptures, you have all of this written to you, and if you really were reading it and paying attention, you would realize it was pointing mm-hmm. to me the mm-hmm. whole time. Mm-hmm. So there is the there is the Messiah element of what Jesus is communicating to these people as well, because he's telling them, I'm God and standing right mm-hmm. in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love this idea that he is going to be the guy who comes back from the dead. Here, we're going to see it in just a second. Jesus is going to be the guy who does come back from the dead, and they're still not going to believe yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which is, which is it's, staggering. Yes. But it's so, And it's so ironic that, that, that Abraham's response, now Jesus is saying this, and the <laughs> Pharisees, first of all, the response that Abraham gives to this man is the exact same response that the Pharisees would. If you remember back in just a few sentences back in, in, in verse 16, Jesus said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. This, this statement where Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them, was the exact thing that Jesus had been saying to the scribes yes. and the Pharisees for, for so long. So while this was an indictment of sorts against this rich man, it was also an indictment against the people that were listening who thought, wait a minute, uh, we don't, we, we're, we're children of Abraham. Right. 
And Abraham is saying in this story, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What an indictment. Uh, God has given these men the law and the prophets, and, and, and this is the problem here is not with was was not with the message that was being portrayed. Yes. Here, this is the piece that I had to think hard. I was like, okay, what's going on here? Why <laughs> is it that I mean, these guys absolutely throughout all of the stories that Jesus was telling him, the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of the church of that day wanted him dead. Was the problem in the message, or was the did the problem lie with the audience? Jesus has just said, yes. the problem lies with you guys. Yeah, and, and this story was simply was simply told yes. to point back to them and say, you guys, you guys need to wake up. Yes. Now, we can look at all of these things as we often do, and we can see these great indictments that Jesus pushes down, and I'm, I'm going I'm to bring one out here in just a second, but, um, but we have to also keep in mind the fact that Jesus is still speaking means that grace is still available. Yes. Yes. Right? Oh, absolutely. That, that's an important great piece to remember for these people. They, they could have woken up. And what we do know from the, the, the whole of the gospel accounts is that people like Nicodemus, people like Joseph of Arimathea, people uh, like these different leaders... Mm-hmm did sure yield they they surrendered they they found they found this truth in what Jesus was saying and uh and recanted of their yes. of their waywardness so uh, did they have problems well no more than peter would have no more than any other disciple would have uh, another piece where where again Jesus is communicating and so there's grace still present but to add a kind of vividness to this story we see something interesting in the Greek in the Greek language in the breakdown of the Greek language. Um, when it says in verse twenty nine, but Abraham said, this happens commonly in Greek language that that word said gets translated in the past tense, so that English readers kind of get a more common understanding mm-hmm. of uh, of how we might read it. Right? This is how we would say this. But if you understand that that is actually written in the present, yes. the present tense, here's what it sounds like, actually. It, it sounds very different, and you can see kind of the vivid and urgent message that Jesus is portraying. Starting at verse 28 again, it would say, I have five brothers in order that they may warn them, please send this Lazarus so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And all of a sudden, it says, but Abraham says... Oh, yes. Now think about that. Yes. He's all of a sudden it seems that Jesus takes the story and he kind of uh, what is it in acting or what is it in film they ca- call it breaking the fourth wall where where the actor will look at the camera and he's engaging with the yes. outside audience. Jesus seems to have broken the fourth wall in his communication by engaging with his hearers and saying, "But Abraham says this." Yes. And he's calling them to listen yes. up. Yes. Right? But Abraham says and now English readers wouldn't have ca- caught that nuance. We wouldn't look at that. We'd go, why did the tense change? That, that yes. doesn't make sense. But Abraham says, Jesus declares, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, just what you said before seems 
absolutely accurate here in which what Jesus has just said is, by the way, I am talking to you. Yes. Yeah. You're wondering if I'm talking to you, (laughs) I am talking to you. Oh, by the way, and here's a message from my father. Here's a message from the patriarch you respect, even if that's the Mm. framework that they work in. He says, they have, you have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So a present tense proclamation is what Jesus is. Yes. And it was directed. Right. It was directed. And remember again, verse 17, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away, which hadn't happened yes. and still hasn't exactly. happened, than for one stroke of the letter of the law to pass yes. away. So Moses and the prophets are there. They are speaking a testimony against them. Of course, now Jesus continues with the story. Yes. And he says, but he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I, I find it hilarious that Jesus is the one telling the story. Yeah. Because yeah. he's going, they have no idea. They're not going to do that even when I do raise exactly. from the dead. <laughs> it's so, it is. It's very, very telling because first of all, I, we we can relate this back to another <laughs> Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. Yes, and he told and he went around telling everyone. And guess what the Pharisees wanted to do with that Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead? They wanted to kill, kill him, him again. <laughs> they wanted to kill him. Yes. So it, it it's it's so interesting to me. It's so the the parallel of Lazarus <laughs> being yes. raised from the dead and this man's name as Lazarus. It. I am. I, it's just yeah. quite an interesting story. To you're, me. you're thinking. You're thinking. Jesus has two things in mind. Yes. He's either going, wait till I raise a guy named Lazarus, exactly. you idiots, or he's thinking, wait till I am back from the dead. Where wait till I resurrect yeah. for real, firstborn of the new creation from the dead. Right. Wait till I do it. You're still going to reject me. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So, Nathan, is Jesus saying that signs and miracles and wonders are not going to draw you to God to get saved? What? That is a crazy thing. So, we've talked about this week after week after week, podcast after podcast after podcast. There is an amazing thing that we would read, say, in in, uh, the gospel or in the, the, the account of the Acts of the Apostles, where... Uh, Stephen's defense, Stephen speaks of his, he he gives his defense before he's stoned to death by the very people who saw a resurrected Savior and still didn't believe it, right? So Stephen gives his defense, and in Stephen's defense, Stephen actually says that Moses performed signs and wonders before before Pharaoh to convince him. Number one, Pharaoh was never convinced of this. Mm -hmm. He was actually Mm -hmm. mad chasing them out into the wilderness. But then the scripture does say that those signs and wonders carried on into the wilderness, into this journey towards the promised land. Now, this is just my, this is my way of doing this, and I, I would love to spend some time unpacking this further for people, and maybe we will when we get to Acts chapter 7. But, but the idea is that that is, the par- that is a good parallel for what happens in the church today. There should be these, these supernatural encounters uh, that, that do take place because God cares for his people. Are they of regular form? Not a chance, okay? Mm-hmm. Just not a chance. Does everybody get healed? I don't believe the scripture says this. But what I am getting at here is that that parallels with what's supposed to happen. 
But nowhere in Scripture do we see, we actually see the exact opposite, but nowhere in Scripture do we see, in light of signs and wonders, people will fall on their knees and profess Jesus is Lord. Mm. We actually see the opposite. Yes. And that is signs and wonders that were performed in, in uh, certain places, if they had been performed in Tyre and Sidon or Sodom and Gomorrah or any other place, those people would have repented by now. But instead, you harden your hearts. The truth is, there's no magic bullet in miracles. Right. Are they a part of a kingdom people's lives? Should they accompany those who believe in all of that? Yes, I can't deny those scriptures that say that. I simply would say that it is... Not a, it's not a magic bullet. It's not. If the church were more supernatural, it does not mean we would change the world. Yes. It does not mean that. Repentant hearts change the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that is a yielding to the gospel. Yes. That's it. What you've just said is absolutely confirmed with the very next verse. (laughs) When Jesus said that Abraham says to them, but he said to to him, the rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So do, do we have to wonder whether Jesus was saying that, there, that those things will not necessarily draw people to God? We don't have to, have to wonder. He clears it right up right yes, there. Yes, he does. Absolutely. And, 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 he, and he clears it up in such a way that it's undeniable. Yep. Uh, so we, I... I, I, I it's, it's almost like that Abraham is saying in verse 30, look, that we're, at this point, they have Moses and the prophets. If, if, at, 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 he said, if someone, uh, uh, let them hear them. That's enough right now. That's yes. enough. Yes. It's, and, and we think there should be more. We yeah. think that there should be something else. So, so let's draw this, this idea to close. And in order to do that, we actually have to just cheat and move right into verse or in chapter 17, just for one verse. That's really all we need in order to understand this, because Jesus is continuing to connect all of these stories and pieces together. It says in chapter 17, verse one, he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to mm. him through whom they come. What we're dealing with here with these Pharisees is that Jesus is pointing out that these lovers of money, these adulterers according to his kingdom, because they are idolaters, they they love those things. These men and women, I'm sure, but, but we're dealing, he is hitting the men here in this, these Pharisees, okay? These men are not listening to the letter of the law. As a matter of fact, if they can get a stroke here or there to to disappear, they're going to take the Mm -hmm. legal means to do it, Mm -hmm. as you pointed Mm -hmm. out yesterday. They're going to do all those things. But the idea here is that Moses and the prophets have been proclaimed to them, and this is what people need to hear and repent and believe in the Messiah who's sitting right in front of them. That's what these sinners and tax collectors are doing. That's what these, uh, these myriads of people who have come to follow Jesus are doing in this case. And Jesus points to these Pharisees and he says, you guys are stumbling blocks. Mm -hmm. And he looks at his disciples and says, don't be like them. Mm -hmm. Don't be like them. These people were a merciless people, just like the rich man, who 
when it's too late, are going to be the first people demanding mercy. Yes. We have got to make sure that when we're looking at our life, we're reflecting on this idea that says, okay, first of all, have I been shown mercy? Yes, I have. Then much is expected of me in my life. Yes. I yes. better be a merciful person. If I am a merciless person, there's no negotiation that I'm going to make that is going to warrant mercy. Yes. No, yeah. you be like King Jesus. If, if you're going to follow him, you be like him. Otherwise, you got a serious problem. Yes. This man in this story, this rich man, and it, it, it is a sad story, whether it's, whether it's a real or parable, the idea of it is a sad story, but it goes along exactly with what you're saying. This, this rich man was judged in the same way that he judged others. He was judged in the same way. And, and we, we can't, there's so much of what Christ said in many other places and times that are reinforced by this scripture Absolutely. that we've just been, that we've just read. Absolutely. So there are a couple of more things that I would love to get into, and we're just going to have to jump into them tomorrow when we take on uh, Luke chapter 17. And just so you can kind of be preparing or getting ready for this, I want us to continue to remember that the gospel was proclaimed in the Old Testament. The scripture tells us that Abraham heard the gospel. Uh, we know here that these people could have turned at the listening, at the preaching of Moses and the prophets. And the, the place that I want to connect tomorrow is that there is still a usefulness. There is still a, a necessity of Moses and the prophets. And here is the kind of the hint or the, the uh, spoiler for what that is those things point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Without yes. that old story, without that old covenant, you have no framework for the new covenant. Yes. This is why there's such a problem with the idea of, of divorcing ourselves from these, you know, from this old covenant or divorcing these two books. This is one continuous story mm -hmm. of God's saving mercy and his love for all people. So we're going to touch on that and we're going to jump into Luke chapter 17 tomorrow. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear points of agreement, points of disagreement. We'd love to hear uh, renderings you've even heard of some of these things where you say, yeah, I, I've been wondering about that all my life and I've heard pastors say this. We'd love to hear that so yes. that we can kind of address that. Um, tomorrow we'll, we'll jump in and we'll have some new comments uh, to interject into the discussion. So if you have a comment, if you have an idea, uh, send it to piercepointchurch at gmail.com. Nathan Frankhauser at gmail.com or Barney Estes at yahoo.com. And of course, like, share, and uh, promote the things that we're trying to post on Facebook and any other social media so that we can continue to get this kind of study and this kind of word out. People definitely need uh, more engagement with God's word, uh, not less. So more engagement. So, so help us out a little bit, like, and share and, and promote that for us. Thank you guys. God bless.